three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 392. Welcome in. Uh, let's, you know, deal with the elephant in the room. Got a haircut. Uh, and I realized, can the real slim shadies please stand up? I, I messed it up, but I, uh, I realized I look like Eminem. I realized I look like I just got out of prison. Make the jokes. Bring them on. Uh, I shaved my own head. I love it. Feels amazing. Um, I hate hair. I hate having hair, dealing with it. Uh, it's awful. And I, I honestly like look in the mirror and I feel so good about how I look. And I, I just think it's wonderful. Um, and I look, man, I, I guess I do realize there's a lot of, I, I've got a new term I started using. It's called a mid M I D mean internet dude. There are a lot of mids out there. And Hey, you guys out there, I, I, look, feel free. I'm going to make a, a joke competition. How about uh, best joke gets a cookie. Now I'm not going to send you a cookie, but you certainly could get your own cookie. So write the best joke. If you feel good about your joke, get yourself a cookie and <laughs> let's have fun with it. I don't know, man. I get a lot of hate, a lot of anger. I'm just a guy who loves sports, who loves my life. I'm enjoying my job, trying to have a good time. Now, uh, this episode is later than I wanted. I apologize. I, I talked about Jalen Hurts and uh, Jalen Hurts, uh, the Eagles quarterback, really inspires me. He's a guy that you know, if you're a fan of Jalen Hurts, he's going to be out there working his butt off to give you what you're hoping for, what you expect. I've been trying throughout the year so far. I've done a show Monday and Tuesday. Today I had to combine the two. Uh, frankly, like the all-nighters, and this actually, I'm in the middle of an all-nighter. It is 3.13 in the morning here right now. Another all-nighter. I do them all the time, and I think I'll just cut up. It was Sunday night. I normally record on Sunday night. It's Monday night right now. I just hit a wall, and I'm like, man, I am exhausted, and I know that I'll make bad content if I record while I'm exhausted. So here we are on a Tuesday. Welcome in. Love you. I appreciate you. Let's jump into Monday Night Football. On Monday Night Football, the LA Chargers beat the Raiders 28 to 14. I'm not going to lie. It wasn't the amazing game I was hoping for. I was so excited. I'm like, oh, this could be dramatic and fun. Maybe a great finish at the end of the fourth quarter. We did not get that. Uh, although I will say there was a brief moment early in the fourth quarter where that game was hanging in the balance. It was a, you know, the Raiders hit this deep ball to Henry Ruggs. And uh, it's a big catch. Raiders have the ball. It was third and three in the fourth quarter, down seven points. It was 21 to 14 at the time. Raiders failed to convert that. Then they missed a field goal. And uh, if you told me LA won by 14 points, I'd go, like going into the game, you know, we, where it's end of week three, it's last Wednesday. You say, hey, next week, the LA Chargers are going to beat the Las Vegas Raiders 28 to 14. I'd go, sounds about right, actually. And I know that's, I'd be disappointed, obviously, like I was hoping for more. But if you look across the board, L.A. is slightly better at every position. Think about it. Everywhere the Raiders are good, L.A. is great. If the Raiders are like a 7 out of 10, L.A., the Chargers are like an 8 or 9 out of 10. Quarterback Justin Herbert. I love Derek Carr. I would take Justin Herbert over Derek Carr. Running back, Austin Eckler, he's slightly better and then the Raiders running back, Josh Jacobs. Receiving core, it is close, but you have Mike Williams and Keenan Allen in L.A. I would take them over Darren Waller and Henry Ruggs. Henry Ruggs is still developing. Darren Waller is a monster. No offense to Raider fans. It's just, it's really close. We're splitting hairs. Like, we're not talking about splitting the atom, but it is, it's a close call. I go with L.A. as a better receiving core. 
L.A. has a better offensive line. I, look, I like the Raiders are making progress. You have Alex Leatherwood, Colton Miller, these young tackles in Vegas. But I think that what L.A. has built on the offensive line, Corey Lindsley, Matt Filer, Rashawn Slater, Ode Abushi, like it just goes on and on. You're like, man, these guys can move some weight on the offensive line. And in the secondary, the Raiders were missing. They had, uh, you know, Trevon Mullen got hurt. Devon, uh, Damon Arnett got hurt. It's not good. Your secondary is lacking. And L.A. has Asante Samuel Jr., Derwin James. Vegas has Jonathan Abram. I give that to L.A. And the closest point of comparison between these two teams is the front seven on defense. The Raiders have Yannick Ngakwe and Max Crosby, whereas L.A. has Joey Bosa. I feel like I'm just listing names at this point, but the point is that L.A. is just slightly better at everything. And that, in my opinion, would manifest, of course, in a 14-point victory, which is what we saw on Monday Night Football. Do not panic. Now, to me, though, the most interesting point of comparison is between Raiders head coach John Gruden and L.A. head coach Brandon Staley. Which coach is better? Weirdly enough, they both played quarterback at Dayton University, too, which is like, it's just bizarre. The years and years apart. Um, Brandon Staley, in my opinion... Better coach, minimally, at, at minimum, was the better coach in the first half. If you ask me, his in-game decision-making all year has blown me away. I am so impressed with Brandon Staley. You know, I did going into the year, I said, I got to pick a side on this guy. I don't know what to expect. I said, everybody says good things about him, and I picked the side, hey, Brandon Staley is going to be a great head coach. He's proving that. In fact, he is exactly what L.A. needed. His in-game decision-making, he, the challenge before halftime, there's a, he threw a challenge flag the Raiders got a third and one conversion. There was a brilliant challenge flag. What that does, it killed the Raiders' drive, gave LA back the football. That led to a touchdown, a long touchdown drive. They scored the touchdown pass to, you know, uh, Justin Herbert threw a touchdown pass to Austin Eckler with 29 seconds before halftime. That lets them go up 21 to nothing at halftime. I mean, the little decisions that Brandon Staley makes throughout the game are unbelievable. His uh, decisions to go for it on fourth down, for the most part, have been fantastic this year. Although I do got to give a shout out to my man, Hunter Renfro. He had an incredible play where L.A. goes for it on fourth down. The, the punter goes to throw the ball. And the amount of effort and intelligence it takes for Hunter Renfro, who is the punt returner on the play, to, oh my, it fires me up. I, I, this is why I love football. These plays right here. Hunter Renfro, a receiver. Is just also a good football player. He sees the play developing, runs from his spot way downfield, about ready to return the punt, runs up, knocks the ball away as it's being caught by the Chargers. For, would have been a first down, knocks the ball away. It's not a fourth down conversion for L.A. Massive play. And again, the, the intelligence and the effort by Hunter Renfro. Like he had a drop earlier in the game on third down, made up for it right there. That's a huge play in that game. Sad it didn't lead to a victory, but Hunter Renfro, oh, I loved it. Now, the coach-to-coach -coach comparison again, though, John Gruden, after halftime, made a couple adjustments where you know, the Raiders scored on two drives in a row in the third quarter, and uh, they made it 21-14 going into the fourth quarter. Like, the Raiders had momentum. They had this, uh, you know, their third drive of the second half. They hit a deep ball to Henry Ruggs. You're like, oh, my gosh, here we go. Raiders down seven points, third and three. Derek Carr got sacked. They missed the field goal. Then later, Derek Carr threw an interception. That sealed the deal. The game is over. It was a bad decision by Derek Carr. And I want to be clear about one thing. Hey, Cowboys fans, listen up. Uh, earlier this year, I made a list of all. I said, like, the only quarterbacks I would take over Derek Carr. And I, the point of that topic was to praise Derek Carr. And I remember 
talking about Dak Prescott in that topic, saying like, I'm just, I'm not sure yet. And there's a couple guys, first of all, I would raise Joe Burrow over Derek Carr. Joe Burrow had this moment, you know, Thursday Night Football. He's screaming like, do not play zero against me. Like saying, don't play cover zero. If you blitz me, I'll just shred you. I love that confidence from Joe Burrow. Uh, And the guy I would take over Derek Carr right now that I didn't mention last time, Dak Prescott is playing out of his mind. He is, we're four weeks in and it's not even really close. Dak Prescott is a much better quarterback than Derek Carr. Love Derek Carr. I think he's underrated. No one gives him the credit he deserves, but that still doesn't do it justice. Like Dak Prescott's better. There's a throw where, man, Derek Carr's rolling right, has Sandra Ruggs deep, way, you know, way down, way down the field, wide open, misses him deep. It's like, ah, the little plays that Derek, keep Derek Carr from being truly embraced by the Raiders. Um, and Dak Prescott's playing like a top five quarterback. I wanted to give that a shout out because Dak Prescott, uh, at the time, I remember saying, like, I'm not sure. Let's see what happens. Yeah, four games in, I would take Dak Prescott over Derek Carr. Now, the Raiders do not play L.A. again until week 18, the final week of the year. That disappoints me. It's likely that by the final game of the year, the playoff standings will all be solidified. We'll know, hey, you know, probably uh, we're going to see, like, the Raiders, the Raiders know where they're going. The Raiders will probably be fighting for, like, a final wild card spot. L.A., the Chargers will likely be already solidified as the number one or number two seed in the AFC West, or in the AFC period, in my opinion. I have them winning the AFC West. And it's too bad because I wish, like, if they rematched in, like, week 14 or 15 with a game that was undoubtedly going to be played by Justin Herbert. Like, my fear is that, I'm going the weird way around this, but my fear is that L.A. in the final week of the year is going to say, hey, we already know we're going to be in the playoff standings and we're just going to rest Justin Herbert and then it won't be as interesting because if you think about it, with another 12 or 13 games of development for the Las Vegas Raiders, they're likely going to be even better. And they'll be able to challenge this L.A. Chargers football team. And frankly, like they match up really well. I, I, I think that a play here or two there and this game is not a 14 point game, but a 28, 28 game. It's like, man, I, I just know on it on the best day, the Raiders can beat the L.A. Chargers. And I. Like, mm, we, we just missed out on something that could have been really, really special. Uh, now, Justin Herbert is incredible to watch. I love watching this guy. In fact, he's really changed the way I watch college football in general. Uh, for me, the fun of college football is watching young quarterbacks. Great games are fun. You know, the, the national championship, college football playoff, all that stuff. That's really, really fun. But the main draw for me is finding which quarterbacks are going to become really good NFL quarterbacks. And when I watch college football... I am now looking for the next Justin Herbert. I think the next guy is Malik Willis, at uh, the quarterback at Liberty. But I, that's how good Justin is, is he's really changed the entire way I look at football, my entire philosophy. And there are so many things he does that blow me away. He's looking off safeties. Uh, he's throw to Austin Eckler for a touchdown on that running back wheel with 29 seconds left before halftime. The two-minute drill to get to that point, throwing that touchdown. Uh, the touchdown pass is through to Donald Parham. Like, he is just unbelievable. It blows my mind. And then another thing Justin does so well is with pressure in his face or as he's getting hit, he steps into throws and delivers the ball. He's not afraid of contact. And, and also, like, he can run, but Justin doesn't need to run to win. Like, he is winning with his arm. And, like... Herbert is a guy that could get away with not being good at great details. Like he's physically good enough that 
if he misses a read here and there, he can just roll out, find, find a way to be a better athlete and make plays. But he doesn't do that. Herbert is relying on his mind and winning with that aspect of his game. It's so impressive to me. I just have to give Justin as much credit as I possibly can. It is such a joy to watch him play football. And you also have to credit the Chargers front office, uh, their general manager, Tom Telesco. They have done such a good job of supporting their young quarterback. The offensive line, stud receivers, a great running back. It's really cool to see. Like The other teams in the NFL need to take notes and learn from what L.A. has done. I mean, the, the, what we're seeing, some teams are supporting their young quarterbacks, some teams are not. The Miami Dolphins have driven me nuts the way they've supported Tua Tungvaloa. The offensive line is awful. You know how many moves L.A. made this year to go build an offensive line for Justin Herbert? Like, they realize, hey, we have that special opportunity. L.A., and maybe Miami feels like they don't have an opportunity to win a Super Bowl with Tua. But I feel like the Chargers, Tom Telesco, their GM, said, we have this really, really special young quarterback, Justin Herbert, and he's on a rookie contract. We're paying him nothing, and he's incredible. We have to capitalize on that brief stretch, that window we have where we're paying Justin Herbert nothing, and yet he's playing like a potential MVP-level quarterback. I look at L.A., they are a Super Bowl favorite in my mind. I called them a dark horse going in. They're even better than I thought. Uh, I predicted the L.A. Chargers to go 12-5 and and win the AFC West. A lot of people called me crazy, but hey, four weeks in, feeling really good about that prediction. I had L.A. going 12-5, and KC at 11-6, and the Raiders at 10-7, and and Denver at nine and eight. Every one of those predictions, like, feel really good about it. I, I pounded the table. I got scared. I didn't hit it as hard as I would have liked to. Um, look, every one of those predictions, man. The AFC West, I think it's going to shake out. Kansas City is not quite what they were last year. They're going to be eleven and six, a playoff team, no doubt. The Raiders are going to be fighting for a playoff spot at ten and seven. And I really believe this LA Chargers football team. This is their year to make a Super Bowl run. They're going to go 12 and 5. We might even see LA versus LA in LA in the Super Bowl. The LA Chargers against the LA Rams in their new SoFi Stadium. It's going to be horrible for ratings. I mean, people are going to watch it, obviously, but I mean, <laughs> imagine an all LA Super Bowl. It's not actually that good of a matchup for the ratings because people are going to go, gosh, my team isn't there. Not even a regional team near me. Like, Jets fans probably watch the Patriots in the Super Bowl because they hate them, that kind of thing. I'm speculating. I don't actually know. Um, but I just know that we really have an opportunity here to see a very weird, interesting Super Bowl with L.A. against L.A. And uh, I don't know. Now, I have two final notes about this game. Number one, the game started with a weather delay. I got a message on Instagram. I don't know how credible it is. Some guy sent me like, yeah, the, you know, a lightning hit the stadium and the power went out or the, you know, the, the jumbotron, the big video board went out. I, I don't. I couldn't find that information anywhere else other than this one guy's Instagram message. I didn't get a picture of him. So take that with a grain of salt. But it's very weird for there to be a weather delay in L.A. in an indoor stadium. I'm like, huh, apparently because the sides are open, that counts as an open-air stadium. Like, pff, come on. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, we have malls here in Hawaii where there's no walls, but, like, it's you're covered. So, like, the rain, I, I don't know. Very bizarre. I don't know. Uh, all I will say, though, is I start about every I start every game about an hour after they really begin. I, I wait. I record it. I start every game late. That way I can fast forward through commercials and maximize my time. And uh, I felt very validated during that moment. I turn on Monday Night Football about an hour late. I'm like, oh, a 45-minute weather delay. <laughs> Weird. I'm just going to fast forward. Goodbye. And I, didn't, I missed everything. And if there was anybody who had to sit through that terrible coverage on ESPN, I apologize to you. That's really horrible. And 
Uh, I hope you at least said good food or something. Now, note number two, Darren Waller got a really, really tacky call where he made a big catch on third down. It was actually the first Raiders first down of the game. I didn't even mention that. Like, the Raiders didn't have a first down, and they had one first down in the entire first half. This legendary, so far in the, the season, the Raiders' offense has been incredible up until this game, week four. And we saw, we, I knew, I said that's going to come. They're going to come back down to earth at some point. But for a while, the Raiders are the number one offense in the NFL. No longer. Anyway. Darren Waller makes a big catch down the sideline. He spikes the ball. It wasn't, it clearly was not intended to be taunting. It's a celebration. And this new taunting rule is so annoying because apparently the NFL wants people to be robots. You catch it. Oh, yes, sir. You turn. Beep, boop. Just turn it. Like, beep, boop. You turn, walk away. Like, it's so stupid. I mean, what's, the, what's the line here between taunting and celebrating? They talk about how we love celebrations. We want to embrace celebrating. And then when Darren Waller celebrates, he gets a penalty for taunting. I've said multiple times, like, I think the NFL looked at what happened with Miles Garrett. A supposed racial slur was said. They're like, we never want this kind of situation ever again. So we just want, you can't say anything to the other player. And they're very sensitive about it. Uh, but it's just like, ugh, it's, it's just really affecting games now. This call that you can't, how, how do you define a celebration versus taunting? Because it's not working. It's very, very wrong and broken. And uh, this game was just another example of many, many games this year where there's no clear distinction between celebrating and taunting. It's just like a, it's a broken system that is driving me nuts to watch every week. Okay, uh, let me drink some water real quick. I got a got a big story too. We, I, we will talk about Tom Brady versus Bill Belichick in a moment. And we'll talk about the Rams and the Cardinals game. But Saturday night was really, really wild. Saturday night, I got some really big news. It's wild. It was a video of Urban Meyer at a bar after the Bengals game with a woman that is not his wife. And she was in his lap, by the way, in his lap, like kind of dancing on him. And I remember in real time, I am in the car with my fiance. We're driving to the grocery store. And I'm like, I'm like, screen save this. You got to get this. this is, I was afraid it's going to, you know, get deleted off the internet. And uh, I'm doing the math. I'm like, oh my gosh, like this really is Urban Meyer. It's the outfit he was wearing after the game. Like it's literally, oh my gosh, that's really Urban Meyer. And I know it's a world where you can fake stuff and there's deep fakes and Photoshop. And there are doppelgangers. Occasionally you see a guy and it looks like Baker Mayfield. It looks like Brett Favre. And it's not actually them. No, 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 no. That's Urban Meyer. And uh, that's not his wife. And then my next thought, I'm going to the grocery store and I'm like, well, if, if you're Urban Meyer's like, you know, PR, whatever lady, I, I thought for sure Urban's going to deny, deny, deny. Oh, it wasn't me. It was a guy who looked like me. Now, unfortunately, apparently it happened at a bar that Urban Meyer owns, which is a really, like, that's a bad deal. Uh, and so instead of denying, he came out and he apologized to his wife, sorry, his family, his team. And the Jaguars owner, uh, Shad Khan. And look, um, I, I've tried so, so very hard to be patient and fair with this guy. Like, I've done everything I can. I feel like sometimes I'm even bending over backwards, like, saying stuff just to be the devil's advocate. To give Urban Meyer what I believe is a fair chance. And there's been red flag after red flag, bad reports and questionable moves and this and that like you know again I, I still will never understand why he gave 
Gardner Minshew so many reps early on, on in training camp, which took away reps from their starting quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, only to trade him away. Like, and there's so many little moves, and maybe the C.J. Henderson move is the right one. I, it's hard to tell yet. It's too early. But to me, this action after a game with another woman, I'm out. I'm done. I can't do it anymore. Urban Meyer always talks about developing young men and God and you know sharing the gospel and stuff. It's all bull honky. I can't, I can't. Come on. It's so disingenuous now. I've gone out of my way to give this dude every benefit of the doubt. And part of holding someone accountable and being fair – sorry, part of being fair – I already ruined what I was going to say. Part of being fair is holding someone accountable. And to me – Urban Meyer has lost all accountability. Like, you can cheat on your wife and win football games. And I got to admit this now. I've cheated on someone. And it's like, you know, uh, I would be a hypocrite to not acknowledge that. I've made that mistake. It's a terrible thing. Uh, I learned a lot from that. But you can't – you can cheat on someone and and win football games. What you can't do is give a bunch of self-righteous talk. And then go to a bar with another woman. After losing a game on national television. Again, cheating happens. It's not that. It's bad decision making. It's your head coach is now a distraction. That's the real problem I have. You can be immoral and, and be, a, be victorious, I, I guess. I, I don't like that. That doesn't make me feel good, but that is reality. I, but I've never, ever heard of an NFL coach doing this. Like, What? And it kind of, to me, screams of a guy who, he's a college coach who, when you're a college coach, you're like the king of your little town. You have all this power. And in the NFL, it's not the same. He, he owns, how many other NFL coaches own a bar in the college town they used to coach? Urban Meyer's becoming a distraction. Now, the one thing this does, in my opinion, with Urban Meyer, for better or worse, if you're a Jaguars fan, uh, look, there were rumors a while back that Urban Meyer might leave to take like the USC job or something. You can't go to USC and recruit now. If you're Urban Meyer, you lost all credibility. How are you going to talk to parents about all this, the mumbo jumbo that Urban Meyer loves to spew? You know, I, I, this and that, and it's so disingenuous now. You, you were what, midway through the year with Jacksonville and you quit and now you want my son to come play for you? That's a terrible – you can't win that recruiting pitch. Now, Urban Meyer, for better or worse, is now locked into Jacksonville. He's stuck there. And I I don't know if that's good. I don't think it's good for Jacksonville. But it's crazy to me. All this stuff, at least in the NFL, the benefit Urban Meyer has is the NFL is about business. You know, in college, they care way more. The boosters at Texas want you to be a good Christian guy and all this stuff. And if you're not, they don't like that. And at least there's no boosters for Urban Meyer to answer to. With the Jaguars, there's one guy, an owner, Shad Khan, who wants to win. But you're 0-4, and then you do that. How do players trust you? You give all this motivational talk, and then you do that. It just totally deflates everything Urban Meyer's been doing for years. And it's so sad, because I really thought that that Jaguars-Bengals game on Thursday Night Football, I thought the Jaguars were making progress. I'm like, yes, finally. They look good. Trevor Lawrence is playing well. Like, okay. Like, they lost, but it was, it was a ball game in the fourth quarter. Then this happens, and it's not a good look. NFL coaches don't do that. The person I feel really bad for, I feel two people. I feel terrible for Jaguars fans. I, I don't know. <sighs> you poor people. I, I don't know how you support that team. I, I just don't. 
it's, it's painful to watch. Um, and then Trevor Lawrence, I feel horrible for. Now, the good news is, if you're a Jaguars fan and if you're Trevor Lawrence, is that in 1998, Peyton Manning was drafted by the Indianapolis Colts. They were horrible. And his coach was Jim Mora. And the Jim Mora era happened and came and it went. And then in 2002, Peyton Manning's team, the Colts, they hired Tony Dungy as their head coach. And so Trevor's going to be okay. He's going to have a couple years, however long he's with Urban Meyer. He'll learn. He's going to get his head beat in. Peyton Manning has like the uh, had uh, at least has or had the record for most interceptions in a season for a rookie quarterback. He had a horrible year. They went like three and thirteen. Not good. And so if Peyton Manning can start that way with a bad coach and have a terrible record, Trevor's going to be fine. I think Trevor Lawrence looks – every week I watch Trevor Lawrence. He's making better decisions. He's learning to throw the ball away, find his check down. He's not forcing throws into coverage. Like, it's a different game at the NFL level. There are certain throws he used to be able to make that you can't in college – that you can't make in the NFL that you could make in college. Trevor's getting better, and whatever happens with Urban Meyer, for better or worse, he's going to be able to weather that storm, and his career is going to be just fine. I, I have I, – I shared my – concerns about Trevor Lawrence going into the year. Part of that was I try to play the devil's advocate all the time. Part of it was he's never lost before. I look at Trevor's attitude, how he's carrying himself, how he's playing on the field. He's okay. He's not crumbling under the weight of losing. He's not, not nothing like that. He's totally fine. Urban Meyer, I don't trust at all. Trevor, I do. Trevor's going to be okay. And I hope they get a better coach in Jacksonville, but whatever happens there, just know that your young quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, your future quarterback, of the, your, your fantastic franchise quarterback, it's all good. He's going to be fine no matter how this shakes out. All right. Uh, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we will talk about Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. We'll talk about the Rams and the Cardinals. We will do Noteworthy for NFL Week 4. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope you're doing very, very well. Uh, let me just start by saying that I don't know what gluten is. I have no idea. I don't understand it. Uh, I'm going through a weird life change where I've noticed that when I eat gluten, which I think is like a grain, I, I couldn't tell you. I actually, I dated someone once for a long time who was celiac, meaning that they cannot eat any gluten. Uh, it's when I was exposed to that word. And I know that when I eat vegetables and fruit, and that's it, and not bread, not grain. I feel way better. Um, that's part of why I don't drink at all is there's a lot of gluten in, in alcohol, which is funny that I, I can say that but not even fully know what gluten is. My point is I had um, Cheerios this morning, which now that I think about it is entirely got to be full because that's grain, right? That's got to be full of gluten. That's why my stomach hurts. And it's funny how like my whole life my stomach has hurt and I thought it was normal. And then I didn't for like three weeks. These last three weeks, I haven't been eating any gluten, mostly just all fruits and vegetables and uh, literally like salad every day. It's very, uh, the word is tedious, but I, you know, my fiance hates it. I like it because it's just, you know, you know, rinse and repeat the same thing every day. It makes me feel very good. Uh, my point is that I, I'm, it's, it's like relearning a whole new skill. It's very difficult for me. So I just want to let anyone know, if your stomach hurts and you have no idea, try Eating without gluten, it might really help you. And by doing that, just have salad, have fruit, and you'd be surprised how quickly you come to just really look forward to eating mango and eating pineapple and whatever, cucumber, whatever it is, right? Uh, and that's my weird little health tip, whatever of the day, unasked for, but um, 
Maybe there's someone out there. You may not even realize. Like, I had no idea how much my stomach hurt and my head was hurting all the time with headaches from that until I cut that out of my diet. And I was like, oh, I feel way better. Anyway, uh, I want to let you in on a secret real quick. I know, no more sports yet. We're still getting into this topic in this segment. Uh, here is the truth. My fiance is actually the person who cut my hair. Uh, she was so afraid of the mean comments. She said, you know, if they like it, then I did it. <laughs> if they hate the haircut, then then I, Zach Schaumler, cut it. So she, was, she wanted the credit if you guys like the haircut. If you guys hate the haircut, don't worry. She didn't cut it. I did. But yeah, the, between you and me, the reality is she cut it. I think it looks fantastic. I really like it. Uh, enough about me. Uh, <laughs> oh, let's talk about Sunday. On Sunday night football, we got to see incredible television. Tom Brady against Bill Belichick. Tom Brady against his former team, the New England Patriots. It was a night game. It was Tom Brady back in Foxborough. And I'm not ashamed to admit I cried. No, I'm not a Patriots fan. Uh, I, w- I consider myself a Tom Brady fan, though. I, his work ethic really, really inspires me. But the reason why I teared up was because of, I just felt so nostalgic. Uh, you know, I, I remember, I thought of my dad. And all the nights I watched Tom Brady in Gillette Stadium at night on Sunday Night Football with my dad. And I don't know if anyone else had that thought. I just, for me, it was like, oh my gosh. I had no idea how much seeing this kind of weird scene, this specific thing, Tom Brady, Angel at Stadium, I just had no idea how much I, I missed having that and how comforting it was. It was kind of like watching Peyton Manning play again or something. It's like, oh, this was my childhood. Then I live over 2,000 miles away from my dad now. I, I didn't watch a game with him or anything. And I just, I just thought of my dad. I got emotional. I, I don't know if anyone else felt that way watching Tom Brady, but just this feeling of like really strong nostalgia. Like, oh, we're back. Oh, my gosh. I remember this. This is how I grew up. Anyway, uh, the Buccaneers beat the Patriots 19-17. to 17. It was actually a really good game. Came right down to the very, very end. And I know the narrative that everybody wants me to talk about is Tom Brady versus Bill Belichick. Brady versus his former team. And his former coach. Now, I really, really loved how vocal Bill Belichick was about the fact that he hates this narrative that Brady and Belichick hate each other. Bill Belichick is a man of very few words regularly. But he came out and was like, look, I hate this. This is so stupid. You know, they won six Super Bowls together. Apparently, they had a private meeting after the game. I love that Bill Belichick came out and said, look, I love Tom. He's great. And, and really came out and it felt like a... A moment where they didn't bury the hatchet. That's not the right way to put it. But they were like publicly acknowledging, hey, the media is all wrong. We don't hate each other. Here's the thing. Um, Belichick and Brady broke up. And I don't know if you've, I've certainly broken up with a lot of people. And if you're listening, I I hope you've had multiple relationships because you learn a lot when you do that. But how often have you broken up with someone and then been like, best friends with them afterward. I mean, there's probably an exception here and there where one person's like, oh yeah, we get along great and whatever. I mean, there's always an exception to the rule, but it really doesn't happen that you break up with someone and your buddy, buddy and best friend and telling them, hey, here's how my new girlfriend does stuff. And here's how, you don't talk about your dates with your next, it doesn't happen. Now I will say, I do hope that you appreciate your ex. 
I actually talked to my ex-girlfriend uh, last week, and it was for me, it was really kind of healing. I, I ended up we ended up saying like, you know, I, I told her how grateful I was for her and and for what it was while it happened because that relationship led me to where I am now. I, I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life. I'm engaged to uh, my wonderful wonderful fiance Liz. I am getting married next summer. I live in my dream location, Hawaii. Like, I'm so happy, and my life is so amazing and enriched and full. And I owe a lot of that to the journey I took with my ex-girlfriend in, in a different stage of my life. And I appreciate all the times we had. It was a valuable time in my life. So I say all that to say I, I would imagine that Tom Brady and Bill Belichick feel that same way. They won six Super Bowls together. You don't do that and not have a couple really fond memories along the way. I just, I don't know. I, I really, I was glad to hear that Belichick was like, no, I don't hate the guy. Like, come on, what are you talking about? And yeah, it ended. Uh, Bill Belichick moved on with his career, got a new quarterback. He's got Mac Jones. But in the end, they both, they both won. Tom Brady went and won a Super Bowl. Belichick is building for his future. I don't know. It was cool. And, and I'm glad it was a close game, 19 to 17 there's nobody to bash afterward except for maybe, I mean, the Patriots kicker missed a kick. I, like fourth and three, a minute left. I think it was fourth and three. A 56-yard field goal in the rain. I actually thought, if anything, Bill Belichick probably should have gone for it there if you want anything to criticize from this game. But I don't know. Look, My favorite thing about this game, well, two, one, actually, weirdly enough, my favorite thing about this game was the Patriots young quarterback, Mac Jones. We'll talk about that in a moment. But people want to hear about Brady and Belichick, so... Belichick's game plan to slow down Brady was every single play, without fail, they disguised their coverage. They'd line up one way, and then the minute the ball was snapped, they'd switch it up and do something else. And it was really, it didn't stop Tom Brady completely, but it did slow him down. Basically, Tom could not trust anything he saw pre-snap. He'd line up. It looks like man coverage. He'd snap the ball. And then bam, the defenders all move around and suddenly you got zone coverage. Like, oh no. And it's every time you always have to catch a snap and verify what you saw pre-snap, but it's even more frustrating when people are moving around as much as the Patriots were. And what I, the Patriots did not allow Tom Brady to get anything easy. They're like, we are going to make every single play really, really challenging and I felt like Bill Belichick was kind of just flexing his muscles as a coach because if your team can disguise coverage as every single play, it shows your guys are well-coached and really, really well-disciplined. It's not easy to do, and you have to have every single defender on the same page. It's really impressive. I, I thought what the Patriots did was really, really impressive to me. And Brady wasn't perfect. It did seem like he denies it, but the rain seemed like it affected him. There's a couple throws he just blatantly missed where you're like, that's not a throw that... Tom Brady would normally miss. Now, in this game, Tom Brady did become the NFL's all-time leading passer. And it's crazy he did it against his former team. I love that. It's a weird, like, of course, it all comes together in this one game. And it's kind of, like, people always like, the NFL is rigged and scripted. But it's, that's one of those moments that you're like, well, if, any, if there ever was an argument for the NFL being scripted, it's Tom Brady becoming the NFL all-time leading passer, playing against the New England Patriots. Um, he passed Drew Brees for the most all-time passing yards. And by the way, I don't know how you feasibly would really... If people, the rigged argument never makes any sense because it's not feasible to make all these 
different things all happen together. There's too many variables. It's it's an absurd claim. I hate that. I just want to be clear about that. Tom Brady passed Drew Brees for the most passing yards all time in the NFL. And it was very cool. Drew Brees was there. He's on the sideline working for NBC. It's like, ah, wow, what a weird, another special, fun, just a, a night full of really, really cool special moments for the Patriots and for Tom Brady. And I just, my thought there is, there are so few quarterbacks who maximize their potential. And there are three that did and have. Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, and Tom Brady. And I, I try to put stuff on my lips. Uh, when you talk like this, by the way, you get really, really... Like, I talk for like an hour and a half in a row, nonstop. It's really hard in your mouth. Anyway, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, those are three guys I really, really respect so much. And anyone who can master their craft and become really like the top dog in what they do, I don't know how you don't respect that. I, I, it always blows me away when people are, I hate this guy or that guy. It's like, does nobody appreciate work ethic and drive and determination? I, I really do. And um, it's kind of an interesting conversation. I kind of like stumbled into that is Brady and Breeze and Manning all maximize their potential. They got the very most out of their career they possibly could. They Every little skill they could work on. I mean, you can't fix how tall you are. You can only, to some degree, fix how strong or how fast you are. Like, sorry, but Drew Brees, no matter what he did, was never going to run like Lamar Jackson. But Drew Brees maximized. Every little thing he could control, his accuracy, his timing, his footwork, his decision-making. He mastered that, the mental side of his game. Brady, Manning, Breeze, they're all that same way. And it's kind of fun. I'm not going to explore more of it today, but that thought of like, huh, what guys haven't maxed out their potential? Because most guys don't even get close. The guy that comes to mind most of all, like the biggest miss I can think of is Jamarcus Russell. Jamarcus Russell, oh, he was so, so talented. It's unbelievable. Anybody watch like college film? Of Jamarcus Russell at LSU, it's unbelievable. You're like, wow, this guy, if only, if only he had half the work ethic as Tom Brady. It's just like so sad, but um, Tom Brady, like the thing you have to love about him, the thing I will always love about him is his work ethic and the way he controlled everything he could control, mastered and dominated it. Anyway, uh, I really want to talk about Mac Jones. Mac Jones is a Patriots young rookie quarterback. Man, I don't think that he did, but you certainly could argue that Mac Jones outplayed Tom Brady on Sunday Night Football. Now, remember, the Buccaneers defense was injured. Their secondaries all banged up. And Tom Brady, unlike Mac Jones, Tom Brady was dealing with, you know, coverage is getting disguised every single play. And certainly uh, Brady was more impressive doing what he did against a much more difficult defense to play against. But still, Mac Jones was awesome against Tampa. He blew me away. He was... Uh, 31 for 40 passing, 275 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. I mean, at one point, Mac Jones in this game had 19 completed passes in a row. That's a new record, by the way, for rookie quarterbacks. And I just cannot believe how far along Mac Jones is mentally in his development process. He's calling plays at the line of scrimmage. He's making great decisions, getting rid of the ball very, very quickly. He's finding checkdowns when he needs to. The development of Mac Jones is just unbelievable. He's really quickly become the Patriots' next franchise quarterback. I, I would not, I hate calling him, you know, the next Tom Brady. 
But it is weird. I mean, that's that's unfair, right? To compare everybody to Tom Brady, especially as a rookie, it's just absurd. But it's also it's weird how similar Mac Jones looks to Tom Brady when you watch him play. Like very clearly, Mac Jones grew up watching Tom Brady play and modeled his game after him, and now he's taken the role that Tom Brady once had. It's very it's weird and kind of fun. And and how much fun do you think Mac Jones? They lost the game. But doesn't some part of him, like the the little kid inside of him, have to feel like, dude, I just threw two touchdowns and almost beat Tom Brady on Sunday night football. I, that's very, very cool for for Mac Jones. And uh, I, now part of why he looks so good is because he's got this great team around him. Like of all the rookie quarterbacks, Mac Jones for sure has the best uh, supporting cast around him. But still, Mac Jones is doing stuff that is very, very high level. And, and his pocket movement is outstanding. He gets the ball at very, very quickly. The time from when Mac Jones decides to throw the ball and then he releases the ball is so quick. It's like, bam. It just, it, the, he just so quickly like sees someone open. He doesn't even separate very much. Really. He, just kinda, he actually kind of lifts the ball and pushes it out. Unless he's throwing the ball deep, he really doesn't do much of a separation of the football. And I had so much fun. I loved watching Mac Jones on Sunday Night Football. It was really, really cool. And I, I really also could not think of a better team for Mac Jones to play for. They supported him really, really well. He's got two great tight ends to throw to and a good offensive line. It's just you love to see a young quarterback get help in the NFL. It's so rare to see that. And, oh, gosh, dang it, man. I oh, I, lo- I, I just, I'm really happy. Like, I, I, I just, I love watching Mac Jones play. It's so rare to see a guy who is coming along so well in their development process. I just am happy for him because a lot of these young quarterbacks struggle early on and, Mac Jones, credit to his mental ability, he is way more advanced than I thought he would be at this point in his career, and um, it's cool to see. Now, I have two final notes. Number one is that Tampa Bay's secondary is decimated. Uh, They have a bunch of injuries. Carlton Davis, Jamel Dean, Sean Murphy Bunting, like their three top corners in Tampa are all injured, and that's a terrible, terrible, unfortunate, uh, you know, turn of events. They had to bring Richard Sherman in off the street, basically, uh, and he played with no practice, which is very impressive, but it wasn't like he played very well. Um, the Buccaneers secondary, uh, look, Sherman didn't have to win, so who am I to criticize? Better than me. Uh, but the Bucs secondary is a really big weakness. Uh, they're going to struggle with all year. I don't know how they're going to defend the pass against better teams, and I, I really worry. Uh, it's just this is, this is going to be a nagging problem that's going to, unless they get healthy at the end of the year, this could be the reason why the Buccaneers fall short this year. Their, their secondary just has too many problems top to bottom with injuries. Now, my second note is this. Matthew Judon, the Patriots linebacker, he's unbelievable. I want to give him a shot. He's the best player in New England, and he caused Tampa all kinds of problems. He's able to get after the quarterback. He had a sack. He's really physical against the run. Matthew Judon, they gave him a four-year, $56 million deal in New England, and that was money well spent. Matthew Judon is earning every dollar of that deal. And uh, good for him. Good for the Patriots. Both sides are winning. I want to give him a shout-out. Matthew Judon played very, very well against Tom Brady. All right, let's talk about Arizona. Um, during NFL Week 4, the Arizona Cardinals beat the LA Rams 37-20. to And Arizona dominated. They looked like a playoff team. They're actually the only undefeated team left in the NFL. And this is a dilemma for me because 
I really want to give Arizona credit. And I admit, I did not expect them to win by three scores on Sunday. But, I mean, unfortunately, I have to admit that I thought the Rams had a terrible game. I thought the Rams quarterback, Matthew Stafford, played really, really bad. I thought the Rams defense played really, really bad. And I, I just, man, I, I know that, like, honestly, I just wish the Rams had played better so that if Arizona won, it'd be easier to praise them. Like, if Arizona had won and the Rams had played great, then it'd be so much easier to say, yeah, like, pound the table, Arizona's fantastic. I feel like I would have learned more if the Rams had played a better game. But because the Rams played so bad, I'm like, well, what did we really learn about Arizona? They can win in a game where the other team plays badly. Like, I don't we'll get I, I want to give credit to Arizona where I can. And we'll talk about Kyler Murray. We'll talk about their offense. But do, do Cardinals fans know what I mean when I say that? Wouldn't you prefer your team win a game where the other team played well? So, you know, the win was more impressive. Because I still look at the Cardinals' schedule. I see a tough road ahead. There are nine games coming up. They play the 49ers. They play at Cleveland. They play the Packers. They play the 49ers again. Then they play Seattle twice. And the Colts, the Cowboys. Week 14, they play the Rams again. These are nine really difficult games coming up on the Cardinals' schedule. And they're not going to lose all those games. They're going to win some of them. But I need Cardinals fans to stop being so desperate for validation. It's like, man, what, like, come on, guys. Let it play out. I, I get so many comments and people attacking me. Like, It's like, just stop trying to get me and force me to say something I'm not prepared to say. I'm uncomfortable saying, oh, the Cardinals, they're a— and I'm not, I, I don't want to make these grand proclamations. Yes, they're 4-0. It's been an incredible start to the year. But do not forget the fact that Arizona should have lost to Minnesota. Minnesota missed a chip shot field goal. If they don't do that, then Arizona's not undefeated. They're 3-1. and one. A month ago, Cliff Kingsbury, the Arizona Cardinals head coach, was on the hot seat. Like, people so quickly forget that. The next four games, you play the 49ers, the Browns, Houston, which is a bad team. You better win that game. Then you play the Packers. In four weeks, we'll know way more about the Arizona Cardinals. How do they play against three really tough teams, the 49ers, the Browns, and the Packers? They probably, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo might not play. If it were me, if I was the 49ers, I would play Trey Lance next week because I don't, do not believe that Jimmy Garoppolo can beat the Cardinals the way they're playing. Hey, then week nine, the 49ers, uh, the, the Cardinals play at the 49ers in San Francisco. Then week 10, they play Carolina, another good football team so far this year. And week 11, they play at Seattle. Week 12 is Arizona's bye week. Can we just wait until then? Week 12, we'll know a ton. In, in four weeks, we'll know a lot. In more than that, we'll know even more about Arizona. I just, I'm not in any hurry to make these grand proclamations about Arizona. I apologize. I, I just, like, f people are, like, saying they're going to win a Super Bowl after four games. I, I don't, I don't how, how do you get, how, how did you get there? Unless you're an Arizona Cardinals fan, who else is proclaiming Arizona to be a Super Bowl winning team right now after four games? I, I don't know. What I will say that I, I feel very comfortable saying is that the Cardinals quarterback, Kyler Murray, he needs some dang respect. Kyler Murray is outstanding. You need to start viewing Kyler Murray the same way you view Lamar Jackson or Russell Wilson or Patrick Mahomes. Kyler Murray is a nightmare to play against. Kyler Murray does stuff that makes me feel bad for NFL defenses. 
His ability to run around and extend plays. The word is lethal. I've never seen the movie Lethal Weapon, but that needs to be Kyler Murray's nickname is Lethal Weapon. Kyler Murray is a lethal weapon. It's unbelievable watching him play. He can make any throw. He's got incre- like the people always talk about Kyler Murray's ability to run, which is incredible. He also has an incredible arm. He had this throw, I believe, to Max Williams, the tight end up the seam for a touchdown. We were like, that's such a beautiful. It was like over a defender between two other defenders into a really tight window. It's just a beautiful, incredible throw. And it's not just pure talent that makes that throw happen. It's also anticipation and the understanding of defenses and where windows are, you know, are open. And it's just like, oh, my gosh, I love watching Kyler Murray play quarterback. It's so good and such a high level. And then again, oh, yeah, Kyler can run. Against the Rams, Kyler used his legs to convert multiple third and longs, a third and 14, a third and 16. He had one play where, uh, was it third and 14 or third and 16? I think it was actually third and 16 where he, he gets outside to the left and runs all the way for a first down. You're like, oh, my gosh, how did he break contain? They had a guy, the, <laughs> man, the Rams defense had a guy in position to tackle Kyler Murray. And guess what? You cannot tackle Kyler Murray in the open field. How many people try and fail? And most people try. He makes a miss, then he slides, or he gets out of bounds. Like you, How many times does Kyler Murray ever get hit? That's the other question. It's not just can anybody catch him. It's just can anybody even hit him? Because hitting Kyler Murray is like a rare occasion that you should feel very, very proud of if you make it happen. Again, I would hate to play against Kyler Murray. Chasing him all over the field sounds horrible. And then you think about, well, Arizona has so many weapons. They have DeAndre Hopkins, A.J. Green. Rondell Moore has in, it really emerged as a really good young rookie receiver. Max Williams at tight end can play. Oh, yeah, Christian Kirk. He only had like five yards receiving one catch against L.A., but he's a really dangerous weapon too. Uh, Chase Edmonds at running back can run and can catch. I'm convinced that the only way you stop Arizona on offense is... Either you have to confuse Kyler Murray, you know, disguise a bunch of coverages, get him to make a bad decision here and there, or Kyler has to have a bad game where he's way off and not playing very well. Um, I don't know. I do worry about Arizona on the goal line. There was a, a sequence where L.A. stopped Arizona on the goal line six plays on one drive that you know they stopped him on third and goal, got a penalty, so they go third, you know, first and goal again, and on three downs again they stop him. So. Six plays in one drive in a row. Uh, L.A. stopped Arizona on the goal, and that's not great if you're an Arizona fan. Like, you you should be able to score with that many opportunities on the goal line. I don't know, man. All I can do is try to be honest, and I don't even know. It's one thing, like, people are like, I want you to apologize, and is it because I, I – do, do Cardinals fans want me to apologize because I, I thought they were going to lose last week? I mean, I, yeah, it's an impressive win. I was very impressed with – uh, the uh, really, I, I was impressed with the way Kyler Murray played. I was not impressed with the way the Rams played. And I think it's just a shame that I, I wish, I, I feel like I didn't learn as much as I could have. If the Rams had played a great game and Car- the Cardinals had won by 17, I'd be like, okay, wow. But uh, there were so many unforced errors by the Rams that I'm like, well, I just, how much was it Arizona's way better? And how much was it the Rams just had a really bad game? And then how much do you credit Arizona for causing the Rams to have a bad game. Like, I'll tell you what, there's nothing about the Cardinals defense that causes Matthew Stafford to just blatantly miss wide open receivers with no pressure in his face. That's not about the defense. That's about Matthew Stafford having a bad game. I don't know. I, I thought the Rams played terrible. 
I'm not really sure what Cardinals fans want from me. My job is to be honest and say what I believe, and I'll never, I'm never going to say stuff to make people happy. And at this point, I'm like, well, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm still not all in on Arizona. We'll see where we're at week eight, and then week 12 is another big milestone. Matthew Stafford did not play well. Matthew Stafford, the Rams quarterback, had just random misses, and the defense played badly for the Rams. So time will tell how good Arizona is. I love seeing them win, though. Uh, I think Kyler Murray is incredible. Kyler Murray is one of my, one of my, if not my absolute favorite quarterback to watch in the NFL. He's so good at extending plays and call. Heck, I, you know what I really want? I want Joe Burrow versus Arizona. Cardinals, Bengals. Does that game happen this year? I don't think so. I'm not even look. I have no. My phone's on airplane, but I'm not gonna look it up. If that game does happen this year, that's gonna be incredible. I really, I that matchup between Joe Burrow and Kyler Murray, two young quarterbacks that I love, sounds really, really fun. Uh, and I, I said this during my NFL draft coverage. I remember in 2019, I was all in on Kyler Murray. Uh, I, I've been saying that from day one. He's incredible. Kyler Murray is amazing, and I think that my biggest takeaway from this game is not that the Cardinals are really, really good but that Kyler Murray needs to get even more respect from fans throughout the NFL. Okay, let me drink some water real quick, and we'll talk about the rest of NFL Week 4. NFL Week 4 was really, really fun. Uh, I already covered three big games, the Rams and Cardinals, Patriots, Buccaneers, and Monday Night Football, the Raiders at L.A. But there still are eight more games I want to talk about from NFL Week eight, the noteworthy uh, week eight, week four, the noteworthy eight from NFL week four. Number one is this Baltimore beat Denver 23 to seven. And I was really excited. It was the very first time this Denver Broncos football team was going to get tested all year. I'm like, oh boy, we're going to learn a lot. Uh, The anticipation was shattered because their starting quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater for Denver got taken out at halftime with a concussion. Did not play the entire second half. Their backup quarterback, Drew Locke, came in. I just felt robbed. I was really sad because we missed out on learning how good Denver is. And some people say that that game was evidence enough. You know, For me, it wasn't. I consider myself like a sports mad scientist where I'd have all these theories and I'd test them out. And for me, this test was inconclusive. They're just the results. We didn't get them. And the next three games for Denver are at Pittsburgh, then the Raiders, and then at Cleveland. So three weeks from now, we will have figured out whether Denver's good or not. But this game, for me, was not enough for me to determine how good Denver is because their starting quarterback, I'm sorry, I can't judge a team when half the game their starting quarterback doesn't play. For me, I don't feel comfortable condemning a team that has a 10-point, you know, you're only down 10 points at halftime, then your starting quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater, doesn't play the rest of the game. Your defense held, you know, held... Lamar Jackson to only six more points the rest of the game. I just, I don't know. I really feel like we missed an opportunity here to learn about Denver because Teddy Bridgewater got hurt. And because of that, I'm just like, ah, we'll wait and see. Uh, Lamar Jackson had a great game, by the way. He uh, threw for over 300 yards. Interestingly enough, Lamar Jackson only ran for 28 yards. And I wonder, I need to watch the film here. I watched the game, but I didn't watch the All-22 yet. I wonder what, and I just, I didn't pay enough attention. Like, what did Denver do? specifically that really limited Lamar Jackson from running around more. I don't know. I need to rewatch that game. I watched it like kind of highlights. And then I saw that 
you know, oh, Teddy didn't play and I didn't watch the rest of the game. I'm like, I don't, I, I watched like the first couple drives and I'm like, what happened? And then I saw what happened. I'm like, guys, okay, time to move on with my life and do other stuff. So I want to rewatch this game in, in its entirety and in, in the all 22 and see what exactly did Denver do to keep Lamar Jackson from running the ball more. And maybe they just played a certain coverage that allowed Lamar to want to throw all day. But usually you would, I, I was really curious, like what is, Vic Fangio going to do the Denver Broncos head coach on defense to limit Lamar Jackson. And I'm curious if there was anything specifically he did to force Lamar to throw rather than run. Okay. Game number two, the Panthers at Dallas, uh, the Cowboys beat the Panthers 36 to 28. Last week I ranked Carolina as the worst undefeated team. And uh, well, they're now three and one. I feel pretty good about making that statement last week. Remember how great Carolina's run defense was? They're like, oh, they're dominating. They beat Houston and the Jets. Oh, yeah. Well, that was three weeks and not very good of competition. Against Dallas, uh, Ezekiel Elliott, the Cowboys running back, ran for 143 yards and a touchdown. Again, a lot of what made Carolina 3-0, in my opinion, was the competition they played against rather than how great they are. They played against struggling teams that can't run the ball very well. So, of course, their run defense looked really good. Panthers quarterback Sam Darnold, uh, I love the guy. He had two interceptions in the third quarter of this game. Uh, Both of them were made by Trevon Diggs. Uh, He leads the NFL with interceptions. He has five interceptions in four games. And what's crazy is for some people, that's an entire season. So Trevon Diggs is just playing out of his mind. He's in year two. He's a second-round corner from last year. Probably the best corner easily from the last year's NFL draft and uh, playing very, very well. It's funny, like, how bad Jeff Gladney got cut and there's, uh, you know, CJ Henderson got traded. Like, all these first-round corners last year, bust, bust, fail, bust, bust. But the second-round corner, Trevon Diggs, is playing out of his mind and really, really well. So you can get a guy who's really talented, but if it doesn't work hard, like Trevon Diggs clearly works really hard, it doesn't matter. And it's just funny how... That's a part of the process in the NFL draft that gets overlooked all the time is how much does a dude love football and how much does he just want to be a dominating force in the NFL because you can be talented as much as you want, but if you're not going to work hard, it won't matter. Anyway, uh, Christian McCaffrey did not play for Carolina. He's their running back. He's hurt again. Uh, That's not good. And Dak Prescott, the Dallas Cowboys quarterback, was amazing. Four touchdowns. He had a beautiful long touchdown down the right sideline to Amari Cooper. I... Love watching Dak. Uh, Dak Prescott. There's something I said about Dak. I remember uh, a couple weeks ago, I think when the Raiders beat the Ravens, I said, you know, I, I, I made a list of all the quarterbacks I would take instead of Derek Carr. And I, I, at the time, I said, hey, I, a Dak Prescott for me is tied with Derek Carr. Well, hey, Cowboys fans, let me give you an update. In case you missed it earlier in the show, I talked about this. Uh I would take Dak over Derek Carr in a heartbeat. What we've seen from Dak in these first four weeks is unbelievable. He's playing at a really high level. I love watching Dak Prescott play. And certainly, I think Dak is pushing himself into the conversation for, is he a top five quarterback? Like, he's really just playing out of his mind. Efficient, good, smart football, really accurate, great decision making. He's a great leader. I just, Dak is really blowing me away. He's playing very good football. And four games in, I just want to give him a shot. And he's playing fantastic. Okay, game number three, the Jets got their very first win of the year uh, and first win in the Robert Sala era. They beat the Titans in overtime 27-24. to It's actually kind of weird. Both New York teams won in overtime uh, this week. 
Jets rookie quarterback Zach Wilson was the star of the show. This was easily Zach Wilson's best game in the NFL to date. We finally saw what I loved about him so much during the draft process. At BYU, Zach Wilson ran around really, really well, extended plays, made big-time throws downfield. We saw that uh, for the Jets against Tennessee. He was making so many big throws downfield into tight windows. It was like, oh, my God. I mean, I hope Jets fans were really like, oh, my gosh, because it's going to be a career of him doing that, I believe, in the NFL and I got to tell you, man, I really believe in Zach Wilson, the Jets young quarterback, and Robert Sala, their rookie head coach. They started 0-3, and everyone panicked. And I'm like, well, the Jets were a terrible football team last year. They went, you know, they were the set, number two overall pick. Like, what did you expect in New York? Of course the Jets were going to be bad with a new coach and a rookie quarterback and rebuilding. Um, but Zach Wilson is going to be amazing. I really believe in him. I think the moment, if anybody saw that, it's a great video of, Robert Sala post-game, giving out the game ball to people and like, oh, man, it's so cool. I love it. And, uh, you know, they have a, the Titans' former um, receiver in this game is playing for the Jets, and that's really cool. So, I don't know. There were so many beautiful throws by Zach Wilson for the Jets in this game, and uh, he's going to be fantastic. You just got to give the Jets and give Zach Wilson some patience. It's going to be a while before they're a fantastic, really good football team, and he's a fantastic, really good quarterback, but... I truly believe the Jets are headed in the right direction. You just got to give them time and patience to figure it out. Game number four, the Giants beat the New Orleans Saints 27-21 to in overtime. Daniel Jones, the Giants quarterback, had one interception in this game. It came right before halftime on a Hail Mary. I just hope people don't hold that against them. It's really frustrating when people look at these interceptions and don't look at the context of them. That's a play that... Obviously, it was not a bad decision by Daniel Jones. They're trying to launch it into the end zone, get a touchdown before halftime. Not fair to hold that against him. For the day, and I don't think anybody would, but just in case, like, I, I hate, like, later this year, when you're mentioning his interception numbers, just remember, one of them was a Hail Mary. And I just, I want people to remember that. Uh, Daniel Jones, for the day, was 28 for 40 passing, 402 yards, two touchdowns. And my big takeaway from this game is that I would build around Daniel Jones quarterback is not it's not only not the biggest problem the Giants have it's also not a problem at all for the New York Giants Daniel Jones is playing very very well and I look I going into the year was highly highly skeptical of Daniel Jones and I look I think that was fair but Daniel Jones the more I watch of him this year I'm like he's getting better and better and playing really good football and I just think if you're a person who still thinks Daniel Jones is a problem in New York you're just wrong he's playing high level football and I you have to acknowledge that even me I am someone who have said many, many negative things about Daniel Jones. I'm pretty sure if I think back to my prediction, that's why part of why I have the Giants doing so bad this year. That and the offensive line. But uh, look, Daniel Jones playing out of his mind. Really, really good football. John Ross is another storyline that was very, very cool if you're a Giants fan. Uh, in his first ever game with the New York Giants, he had a long 52-yard touchdown catch. Uh, he was the number nine overall pick in 2017 going to Cincinnati. He was a bust in Cincinnati. He's been really bad and not worked out. And so uh, it's cool to see him already in one game with New York make an impact and hope he can stay healthy. And I, I really hope that the Giants can continue to use his speed and use him as a vertical deep threat because he has the ability. John Ross and Henry Ruggs are very, very similar. If you can just keep John Ross healthy and get him on the field, I, I think there's a really big opportunity here, a lot of potential. You just got to see if you can keep John Ross healthy and on the field. 
Okay, number five. Kansas City beat the Eagles 42-30 to in Philly. Uh, Chiefs head coach Andy Reid beat his old team at their house. Good for him. Uh, Tyreek Hill had 11 catches for 186 yards and three touchdowns. Patrick Mahomes threw five touchdown passes. Here's what I want. If you're an Eagles fan, do not blame your young quarterback, Jalen Hurts, for this game. and Or last week either. Philadelphia's defense has given up 40 points two weeks in a row. So I, 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 that's why you're one and three. No matter, I don't care what your argument is, nothing is valid to blame your quarterback when your defense gives up 40 or more points two weeks in a row. That's on the defense being terrible, not on Jalen Hurts not making enough plays. I am a, I'm a believer in Jalen Hurts. Give him time. Stop blaming the wrong factors. You're angry. I get it. But I'm sorry. Jalen Hurts isn't the problem in Philadelphia. Number six, the Packers beat the Steelers 27-17. to Green Bay is great. We already knew that. It's not a surprise. They're 3-1. and one. They had a bad game week one. They've been, they're undefeated since then. Now, Pittsburgh, though, I was surprised. The, the Pittsburgh Steelers did not lose by as much as I expected them to lose by. Their defense is keeping them in games. you got to watch Pittsburgh. They're 1-3, but they are a better 1-3 than most other teams. Remember, I think, in my opinion, the three best teams that have one win right now are the New England Patriots, the Indianapolis Colts, and the Pittsburgh Steelers. And it, what that means, really, is not that the Steelers are going to have a great year and be really good, but if you're a, a fan of the other 31 teams in the NFL, if your team plays Pittsburgh, do not relax because that is not an easy win. If Big Ben plays solid football, the defense plays great, Pittsburgh can beat you. And every week, Pittsburgh is one of these teams that is not going to be outstanding, but they're definitely a team that can break someone's heart and steal a game or two from good teams. And uh, I just, I'm not as down on Pittsburgh as other people are. I'm also not like saying they're a playoff team. They're just a team that is going to beat a team or two this year and uh, cause some problems for other. I think better NFL teams. Number seven, the Bears beat the Lions 24 to 14. What a weird situation we have going on in Chicago. Uh, remember all the panic last week? You know, Justin Fields has this terrible week and they get obliterated by Cleveland. And then this week, oh, well, Justin Fields plays really good and he's the starting quarterback against Detroit and has a great game. And I'm sitting at home going, like, oh, I really wish this had been the first game for Justin Fields because. I thought throwing him to the Wolves against Cleveland was not quite fair. And then apparently we get the news that Andy Dalton is still going to be the starting quarterback in Chicago, even when Justin Fields is healthy. And I'm like, I, I just don't understand. I'm so confused. I don't know. I, I just, again, I wish that this had been Justin's first ever game in the NFL. He was 11 for 17 passing, had 209 yards, one interception, but pretty good day overall, a good enough to win. Uh, the weirdest thing, though, is that in this game, Justin Fields only ran the ball three times for nine yards. And I'm like, why are we not? If you're the Bears, like, why are you not running the ball with your quarterback, Justin Fields? Like, why did you draft him if you're not going to utilize his ability to run the ball? I, I, I don't understand that part of it. Uh, Daryl Mooney had five catches for 125 yards. Lions quarterback Jared Goff is the reason why the Lions lost. It's embarrassing. Jared Goff had two ugly fumbles, both of them on the goal line. And Jared Goff right now, he's really hurting his team. And if you're a Lions fan, you're like, yep, okay, we, we, we gave him a chance. Four games. Clearly, Jared Goff ain't it. And we're going to have to draft a quarterback this year. In my opinion, you're like, you already know 
He's got potential, but Jared Goff is a backup quarterback in the league. He, he can play occasional good football. He can never put together an entire good game, and we've seen that in Detroit. Jared Goff has been the problem week in and week out, causing his team to lose football games. It's really infuriating. They're 0-4, and 95% of why the Lions are 0-4 is because Jared Goff keeps getting in his own way and shooting himself in the foot. And number eight, Seattle beat the 49ers 28-21. to 49ers quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt, uh, did not play the entire second half. I have a conspiracy theory here. Sometimes in football, when you want to bench a quarterback but you don't want to embarrass them, they get, quote, injured. And I, I, I'm not saying that's what happened to Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm not saying that's not what happened to Jimmy Garoppolo because I watched Trey Lance, the 49ers' young rookie quarterback, and he was better than Jimmy Garoppolo in my mind. That's controversial. I don't really care. It's my opinion, my show. I would not be surprised if the 49ers started Trey Lance next week. I think it's very possible. Jimmy Garoppolo is still, quote, heard, and he's out, and he, quote, can't come back. And, uh, you know, the 49ers play Arizona next week. And whether he's healthy or not, Jimmy Garoppolo, I don't care, is not the guy who's going to lead the 49ers to victory over a really good Cardinals team. Maybe Trey Lance could. If I'm the 49ers, I want my dynamic athlete quarterback playing against the Cardinals. You're trying to beat Kyler Murray, this juggernaut at quarterback. And I'm sorry, Jimmy Garoppolo's not going to beat the Cardinals next week. Maybe Trey Lance can. Now, Russell Wilson was ridiculous in this game. Russell Wilson, as always, is uh, unbelievable. I I talked about going into this game. Can Russell Wilson carry his team to victory over a better football team? Yep. Yes, he can. We learned that. Uh, They won 28-21. Russell Wilson had a crazy touchdown in this game where he was getting sacked. He spun out of the sack, finds a way to extend a play, throws a touchdown pass to Freddie Swain in the corner of the end zone, and you're like, you're just, I mean, if you're a 49er fan, you're probably so disappointed. You're sitting there like, we had a sack. We had him down. Doesn't matter. That's Russell Wilson being Russell Wilson. He's unbelievable. And it was a really fun game. I just, my only wish was that I wish Trey Lance had played all game for the 49ers. What would have happened if the 49ers' better quarterback had played the entire game rather than just the second half? I don't know. Actually, I do know. I think it would have been a a better game. Would the 49ers have won? I don't know. It would have been more interesting at the end. And uh, just keep your eye on this. This could be the end of the Jimmy Garoppolo era. Like, as of yesterday, I mean, we'll see, but... I just think that the 49ers are better off playing Trey Lance at this point, and I don't know why. To go back to Jimmy Garoppolo feels like a step backwards, the same way that the Bears going back to Andy Dalton feels like a step backwards. It's weird. I don't get it, and uh, I'm perplexed by I'm, I'm perplexed by things going on in Chicago. And if if Jimmy Garoppolo is the starting quarterback next week for the 49ers, I, it's like either they're trying to protect Trey Lance from having a bad game against a good football team, the Arizona Cardinals, or I, I, I can't. I can't think. Of, I, I can't think of any other reason to play Jimmy Garoppolo instead of Trey Lance. I would. I, I just think Trey Lance is the better quarterback. Gives you a better chance to win. And if I'm the 49ers, I'm playing Trey Lance next week at quarterback. All right, guys. That is all I have. Uh, I love you. I appreciate you. I man. I, I watched all this college football next week and or last week, uh, and I have like there's like eight games I want to talk about. Right. And let me know. Do you want to hear me talk about college football? From last week, next, this, you know, tomorrow's Wednesday, meaning I will not get that topic out until Wednesday. 
But I, 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 I mean, I feel bad. I watched all this football and I haven't talked about it yet. And I'm like, well, was that all that work for nothing? Was it just so I can stay caught up with college football? I don't know. But please, if you want to hear me talk about last week, week five of college football, write and let me know because I would love to love to talk about it if anybody wants that. I also don't want to put all this work into making a topic that comes out and 400 people watch because it's, it's four days too late. So I, I, I don't know. I'm just asking. Uh, next week I'll do better. I'll cover college football on Monday. I just got way behind this week. It was, a, uh, you know, it was 4 a.m. on Monday morning. And I was like, I still haven't recorded. I, I need to just go to bed. I'm exhausted. And so here we are on a Tuesday making content. Anyway, I love you. I appreciate you. But um bum bam. We are done.